0: Eight is divisible by four. This means that this is our second episode. For this week, we decided to focus on crime fiction novels, amazing crime fiction novels, that being designed as something that you would read over and over again, and you had to try to bring four to stump the other person. But before we dive into that, I just want to say I host this podcast with Jason Santos, who swears like a mug out of a 40s. Or fifties pulp novel. So, if you don't want your kids to hear colorful and expressive language, uh, you should use headphones or listen later. So, what's up, Jason? Not much, man. Um, things are good. I, um, I there's some stuff. You know, I, I was actually gonna
1: ask you about, and I'm sure you're excited about. It. It's a it's a given. Um, some cool shit coming out that I'm looking forward to seeing. I'm the uh, trailer for.
0: Um, for the new True Detective came out yesterday. Oh, yeah. The new trailer. The new trailer. That kind of expands and maybe... I, I saw someone online say that it points to who might be the true detective this season. Oh, interesting. Um, or, or that it, at least this new trailer reveals more. I'll, I'll be honest, I haven't had a chance to watch it because I was on the road. It's not that good. It's really? A, well,
1: the trailer, I mean... just I, I saw it once. I mean, it's going to be killer. Like, the series is going to be awesome. I know it is.
0: So what is it about that show that takes these, like bulky hunks and turns them into these, like, svelte, skinny... (laughs) Yeah. the guy who played, um, Taylor, what's that dude's name, who played Tim Riggins on Friday Night Lights, he looks completely transformed in the same way that Matthew McConaughey went from being this, like, I'm flapping my wings like a fucking crazy man doing a crazy workout (laughs) on the beach. Yeah. Super ripped, like, abs of steel, down to this, like, very svelte, skinny, um, you know, philosophical...
1: Yeah, totally. Almost crap. I mean, that was... So I think, to be fair...
0: Taylor th- Kitsch. That's okay. Taylor Kitsch. That's yeah. it.
1: Well, I think McConaughey had lost all that weight for Dallas Buyers Club. Right. Right? Right, right. But he's still skinny as shit, though.
0: Yeah. I mean, honestly, he looks better. I he think. He looks very good. Yeah.
1: Very good. <laughs> Save <laughs> um, the ladies.
0: <laughs> oh, man.
1: He looks good. Um, That looks killer. I mean, the, the trailer... I don't know, it's, it to be what I'm doing is I'm comparing the entire season of True Detective, the first season, to this one trailer,
0: which, I mean, yeah, it's, it's like... probably not fair. Maybe not, yeah. maybe not, um, but... Do you remember the, the trailer for the original series, and what, you're, what you felt like when you saw that? I mean, I want to say, no, I guess I don't, to be honest, I want to say... Because I, I, say I was, was pretty iffy seeing the trailer for that. Oh, seriously? I mean, part of it was that it had Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey in it, who were by the way both amazing. Oh, god. in, in that show. Yeah. Um, but I don't think anyone had the I was like, I'm going to watch that because it's aimed square at the things that I love. It's like a super dark, gritty crime drama. Of yeah. course I'm going to I'm going to watch that all day. Sure. Whether it's going to suck or not is another question <laughs> Sorry, yeah. And I think there were some serious doubts when that first trailer came out. And of that was part of the reason i think why the reality of it was so incredibly blow away and everyone's expectations for it were like not that yeah. high so i think that's part of the reason why it was such a it was a very surprise runaway hit
1: it was a surprise hit yeah and
0: it'll be, be interesting to see if wire style if they can change the setting change the characters and maintain that same level of quality i mean it's obviously the guy who's the showrunner is there. I'm sure he brought back a lot of the same people. So. For sure, yeah.
1: And, and I don't know that it's my understanding that there isn't even a thread con- connecting seasons.
0: No, I don't think so either. So
1: it's not even like, you're not seeing Omar at all in season two. No. You know what I mean? There like, was I mean at least,
0: no- even though season two of The Wire took it to the docks, you still had McNulty, exactly. you had other That's people, I mean. there, was, there was a thread of connection. Yeah. Um. And then, as the seasons went on, they tied it together even more. Yeah. The the guy who was allegedly the Greek, who was this diner, who was, ended up being a major distributor to all of the inner city people, who you'd seen dealing and hustling and doing their thing in season one. So it all started to tie together um, as the seasons went on. We,
1: we got to, I'm sure at some point we'll devote a whole. Yeah. We got to. Sure. Right do a whole, like, episode on The Wire. We have to. I mean, it's... Absolutely. And even True Detective, I mean, is so killer. So that dynasty in um, Mad Max, of course, right? Yeah.
0: Oh, my God. Holy that looks shit. unreal. Jesus. So you know the deal with that is um, the guy who shot that, who shot the originals, obviously, George... Do you remember his last name? No. Anyways, he, uh, you know, has been feeling like audiences are getting... Uh, desensitized to action films because of all the green screen stuff. So he didn't shoot any of that stuff on a green screen. So he shot it all in camera. And he also felt like, if I'm going to make an action movie, it needs to be over the top, and the whole thing is almost one continuous chase scene the entire movie. That's what I heard, yeah. <laughs> Which sounds amazing. I can't wait to see if he can pull that off. Yeah, for sure.
1: Oh my god, yeah. I, I'm so psyched to see that. I might have to go like on like a Monday night or, or something
0: like right. that. But, yeah, that'll be awesome. To see. Although all the high school kids are getting out of school for the summer now. Son so. of a
1: bitch. Yeah, what, what about you? What do you got
0: going? So, um, I think I mentioned last week for my birthday we were going to go to this place, um, Maya Cuisine in Northeast.
1: Oh, that's right, the taco place, yeah.
0: So, one of the things I want to tell you about is not only were the tacos amazing, and this place is a definite must visit, no, sure. but, they have a salsa that is, Stop it! You know where I'm going with this. The El Farolito green. Yes, no. It is. It tastes exactly the like phone. the El Farolito green salsa. Holy shit! Which seriously, which is which is really astonishing because it is not in. It is uh, very obviously not made of the same ingredients, but it has such a similar taste profile. I swear, it's the closest thing I've ever had Fuck. to the El Farolito green salsa. You were so, you were beside yourself. Oh my God. I, yeah, it was amazing. I mean, I would go back just to get the chips and salsa Fucking at that God. place. So, what did you, you have? Did you have pastor? Did you have. I had um, three tacos. They have a, a, our friend Brad recommended, they have um, this chicken in a tomato sauce that's pre- pretty spicy. It was really good. I had uh, barbacoa and I had El pastor. How was the that store? Oh, it was really good. The tortillas were totally on point, really good. The chips and salsa were really good. They also did this thing that I hadn't seen before where instead of rice, you could get this um, potato-mixed-vegetable-fried kind of combo on the side that had chorizo in it, too, I think. Or some sort of beef. Yeah, yeah. Really good. So instead of rice, you could have this, like potato, veggie, sort of stir-fry, almost mix. Is it
1: cafeteria-style? Slide the tray out. It is
0: cafeteria-style. And they you're, they have this thing called the Maya Plate, where you just pick three. And most other people didn't all get tacos. They got a tamale and an enchilada, or a tamale and a taco and something else. So, okay, And mate. everyone loved everything that they got. So this place is super, super solid. And it's not actually that far into Northeast. Oh, really? Yeah, if you're sort of over where... Um, certics and that stuff is. You're only a five-minute drive oh, really? from where this place is. So
1: Killer. Well, coming from another Minnesota, and I would call bullshit immediately. But you live in the <laughs> Mission, you know. So.
0: Yes. Awesome. Exactly. Right. Yeah, let me tell you. This place, it's... I mean, it's super affordable, too. The inside is crazy. It looks like a piñata had an illegitimate baby with, like, a Hawaiian hotel from the 1940s Seriously? or something. Yeah, it is... <laughs> Insane good. And just to like throw you completely off when you're like, I think I understand what sort of mat. this is like a mashup between some sort of Polynesian and Mexican fiesta, there's a fireplace with like books, (laughs) like a fake fireplace with books and a painting over it that obviously was left over from I don't know if this was like a supper club, Minnesotan supper club or something beforehand. So it it's it's bizarre inside. But yeah, it's pretty awesome. You should definitely go check it out. Oh, I will for sure, yeah. All right, well, let's get down to the picks. Let's do it, man. This, I'll
1: tell you, this is a bitch. Like, you got me outgunned with this. You got me outgunned. Um,
0: so I will say, I, I went from memory. I didn't start digging into my bookshelves or my Kindle um, oh, as read list. I just went from memory. But even then, I came up with uh, eight. But I'm going to I'm man. gonna talk about four. Jesus
1: Christ. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I got three. I got three. Three is good. And here's the thing. Like, I didn't want to go, um, like, I I wanted to stay fair to the rules, right? Because, like, of course I could go dig and find something obscure that you probably haven't read before. But it it needs to hold up to, like, the criteria, which is something that you would read multiple times. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, um, I wound up, um, and I kind of didn't notice this until... um, until not that long ago, that um, I don't know why I didn't realize this, but I'm guessing your stuff is is mainly, if not all, fiction.
0: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And my
1: three are all nonfiction.
0: Oh wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's. Well, of- chances are that I don't. I'll be honest. I don't read that much true crime. True crime. That much true crime and that much nonfiction in the crime world. I've read a few things. Uh, I've. I have this amazing vintage book, actually, which is a collection of stories from people in prison about the crimes that they committed. That oh is unreal. Really? I think it's all written. Uh, it wasn't like written and like by an author. It was like these guys wrote, penned the like. This is what I. This is how we rob banks, and this is what we did. It's all from the 30s and 40s, so it's like super okay. vintage, old school, like police chases and running from dogs. And there's this guy who told this awesome story about when he broke out of jail. He had been feeding the dog that they, that they had in the yard. The dog? Yeah. Uh, surreptitiously feeding it hamburger all the time. <laughs> and he would like him? When they let the dog loose and it chased him through the swamp, he brought out a hamburger patty that he'd stowed away when the dog caught up with him and he fed it to the dog and the dog just kept going with him and took <laughs> off with him. <laughs> Let's go! Yeah. Oh my God. So he just hijacked. Not only did he get away, he hijacked their dog.
1: <laughs> so good.
0: <It> was hilarious. <laughs> anyway, so what's, what's your first pick? My first pick is The Education of a Felon, which
1: uh, is Eddie Bunker's autobiography.
0: So I have actually read that.
1: Motherfucker! Oh, <laughs> get out of the
0: gate! I, I haven't, like I said, I haven't read that much, but I, I mean, Eddie Bunker, you know. Ah,
1: fuck, I should have known. Oh well, whatever. So what? I guess I mean, I guess it isn't that big of a contest, right? I'll have to <laughs> fall on a sword here. <laughs> How
0: fucking great is that book? It is really great.
1: Oh my god. So I gotta show you sometime. I'll bring it in. Um when when he first released it, um, he did a reading at Green Apple. And um it's actually right across the street from Green Apple. Did did you freak?
0: Have we talked about Green Apple? My roommate uh, Colin used to work at Green Apple. Oh,
1: really? Okay. Yeah. All right. So Green Apple is a um, is the best bookstore in San Francisco, and um, has been there for ages. It's killer. I was there all the time. So, um, my friend Kevin Huntsinger is, um, I think, the manager of it. He's been there forever, and he's a huge crime nerd. Um, I right know. And he kind of organized this when Eddie Bunker, you know, came out with the book. He's like, "We got to get him here," so he organized a reading. Um, and I was just so psyched. So got went to the reading. Um, obviously, got the first issue hardcover. He signed it to me, and wow. I got a picture of me with Eddie Bunker. That is killer. It was so cool. He's
0: such a cool guy.
1: Oh my god. So, so cool,
0: right? I mean, the closest I've ever gotten to meeting Eddie Bunker is watching Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. That is not very close, obviously. No, yeah. And I
1: mean, he's, like, I think most people definitely know him from Reservoir Dogs. um, But he has a pretty storied, like, film history. He's been, so he, like, for those who don't know, um, Edward Bunker was a career criminal.
0: Youngest ever felon in San Quentin. That's
1: exactly right. Seventeen when he got put away in the San Quentin. Um, Fucking seventeen. So he was a career criminal. Um, He was born in the mid '30s and didn't didn't go straight until like mid to late '70s when when like his writing and acting career finally started to pay. Basically,
0: had something that was. Providing him with money, so he, he didn't, didn't have to commit crimes. Didn't have yeah. to rob
1: banks anymore. Yeah, but um, so he was in and out. Of, he was in and out of homes when he was a kid, like so from eight years old on, right? So the, this being being a memoir um, starts back in those days with his parents. You know, the drunk fighting all the time. Unfortunately, kind of the stereotypical story of the beginning of a of a criminal and the education of a felon is kind of a super fitting title.
0: Yeah, it's the perfect book about how you take someone who is. Pretty much a petty criminal. I mean, a lot of the stuff he was doing was, like, writing bad checks and shoplifting. Exactly. You take this young, impressionable kid, and you stick him in a uh, major penitentiary with hardened criminals, and what does he do? He becomes the associate of all Absolutely. of these all these tough, real, hard-bit criminals who commit serious crimes, take him under their wing, and he just becomes a part of their crews.
1: Yeah, Exactly. And I mean, he goes. The thing, um, the thing that I kind of like about—I've read all of his books—and um, I've just always been a huge fan of his writing. Um, and the thing I liked about the memoir itself is that um, it felt a lot like his novels. You know, um, th- you know, all of those are semi-autobiographical, of course. For sure. Um, and he always has this um, disdain for straight people. In his novels, like it's just like he's, you know, it's it's a it's sort of a cross between hatred, just because he's, you know, he's a criminal, so he hates the straight life. But he also, I think, is um, he's kind of, you know, it's an easy way out to be straight. You know what I mean? To be a law-abiding citizen is is easy. Anybody can do it. You know, but right. to live the way he does is hard. And he maintains that throughout the autobiography. And it's it, it's such a, a a it's a crazy point of view that is just. You know, I don't know. I can't get enough of it.
0: Yeah, there's something something about him that feels like almost like a more authentic Charles Bukowski. Yeah, absolutely. With like out all the fucking frilly bullshit. Yeah, I absolutely yes. He is the he's
1: the best part of Bukowski.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's distilled
1: that that reality and that trueness. Yeah, is in that disdain again for the straight life. Um, is yeah, he's much more eloquent and. Yeah, he's the best. Fuck, yeah. man. I got in in when I started thinking about the book and took a pass over some stuff just to refresh myself with it. I just remembered how much I love all of his stuff and how much all of the movies are great. Like, I mean, there's like um Animal Animal Factory. Yeah. Um was that the? What's the Dustin Hoffman one though from the seventies? Is that No Beast So Fierce? No, it's yeah. based on No Beast So Fierce. Um, it's based on the book. I don't know, but it, it, the Dustin Hoffman bought it. He bought the rights as soon as that book came out. Hmm. Um, That's awesome. Animal Factory, and then they remade Animal Factory. Like
0: yeah, more, with, the ki- years ago. with the kid from Terminator. The kid too. from
1: Terminator, yeah. So, fucking A. All right. Yeah. S- swing and a miss.
0: So, my first one is the only one that I'm worried that you'll you'll actually have read. Oh, good. And j- just to be clear, this one isn't have, her- have heard of like we had for the films. The bar here was you have to have read it. Correct. So, yeah. uh, my first one was Cutter and Bone by Newton Thornburg. Ah, uh-huh. haven't read it. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Cutter's Way, the movie? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I figured if anything, you'd for sure have seen Cutter's Way, the famous film with Jeff Bridges and um, who's the guy that plays Captain Dan? And <laughs> um, that guy's also great in it. Oh, um, uh, Gary Sinise. Gary Sinise. Thank yeah. you. Um, Gary Sinise, Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges, very young, still like super tight body hunk. Yes. Jeff Bridges, um, and Cutter and Bone is such a great book, and the. The movie is a pretty good translation of the book, I would say. I think I think huh. the book is still a little better. Okay. Um, it take the um, the movie takes a few shortcuts, obviously, in in the interest of time. Um, but basically, what happens is there's sort of this odd couple. Um, the Gary Sinise character, who um, I believe is Cutter, uh, is this sort of hard bitten anti-establishment Vietnam vet who really hasn't gotten over he just like does drugs and hangs out and parties and he's very still very like anti-establishment like fuck the world, he's super pissed off and um, the guy who plays Richard Bone which is the Jeff Bridges character is this sort of playboy who's taking advantage of all these wives who are vacationing in this seaside sort of California town this is like a small town that's run by a few very rich people um, who they end up running afoul of when um, bone uh, is coming back from like a tryst with this rich woman and he pulls into an alley and he sees um, a very fancy car pulling away from a dumpster that has the a dead body uh, yeah. and he he realizes and the two of them start to once again another novel that I love they like these people aren 't professional detectives, but they've this thing has fallen upon them and um, Cutter convinces Bone that like he's he's witnessed a murder. Um, that the reason why this person was pulling away is because they murdered this woman who was in this dumpster. And the two of them start to investigate. They're not so subtly told off by like the powers that be in the small town that that's a bad idea. And things kind of unwind from there. And it's a brilliant movie, brilliant book. Newton Thornburg uh, is books are hard to find because of. Pelicanos. I think a few of them were republished recently. I was on a trip in like the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin, looking uh, antiquing with my mom, and I happened to find. Um, uh, I want to say it's called. It's a uh, oh god, what's it called? I want to say it's called the High Priest of California, but uh, isn't that That's a Williford. Williford book? Yeah, it's something something like that. Something about um uh, like to to die in California or something like that. One of his, like, really obscure novels, and I found it in this antique shop, and it had been out of print for many, many years. This was before, you know, Powell's books and Internet search engines, so this was, like, a really rare find. And since then, Pelicanos has, like, um, made sure, I think most of his books have been re-released, like, at his behest. He talked to his publisher and said, you should buy the rights to all these and put them back out, Uh because they'd all fallen out of print. And um, he's, he's really, really awesome. Newton Thornburg? Newton Thornburg, yeah. Yeah, all right. Yeah, so all of his books are, like, sort of Williford-style. He's someone who, like, should have gotten acclaim and um, a lot more credit than they did. Um, mm-hmm. And for some reason, even, even though Cutter's Way was, like, you know, a, a, a critically acclaimed film. Yeah. yeah. Whether it was a big box office hit, I don't know. I, I don't but. know, but, I mean, it garnered yeah. big
1: names. Yeah, or, you yeah know, absolutely. How old is that movie? Like,
0: 80s? The like, Yeah, I mean, would say... Or, early to mid 80s the book came out in 1976 so okay
1: yeah so it's not that old of a book either yeah huh. i for some reason thought it was i don't know did did, did he write the uh screenplay Do
0: you know i don't know that's a good question i'd have to check on it's that always nice he only has are. like four or five books honestly oh, really? i think under under his belt mm-hmm. you know but he he's kind of like was probably a contemporary around the same times as as George V Higgins and it feels okay. like there were a couple of people you know of that time that were, you know, maybe crime had gone slightly out of vogue. I, I don't yeah, know, yeah. That, I don't know, Is that possible? <laughs> not, <laughs> not, not in my world. Not in mine either, yeah. So. Well, that's going on the Goodreads list, for yeah. sure. All right, what, what you got for number two? All right,
1: number two, Um, feel fairly safe with, um, it's, a rec- it's recently been republished. Um, it was, I, I think the book came out originally in, like, the mid-60s. It's called The Big Con,
0: um I uh, David Maurer, yeah, I haven't read it, but it was like on Amazon wish list at one point to, like, okay. to get it, but really? All right, yeah, well, it's like a history of con men in New York City or something like that.
1: Yeah, pretty much. So um, yeah, David Maurer is um, he um, was this this is an old book. Um, I this guy, I mean, he was a professor, a linguistics professor in New York in the 30s. And, um, you know, wrote like his, his at the beginning of his career, he was like, you know, writing books about like speech patterns of like fishermen in the Northeast, you know, and, you know, very much a linguist, like finding small patterns of speech, you know what I mean, and that kind of thing. And then he, um, I, I mean, I don't know much about the guy, but he like kind of gravitated towards the underworld. And began writing, sort of like began studying, um, you know, the language of like, like pimps and carnies and junkies and that kind of a thing. And that, be, like, he was like the first person to kind of document, like, you know, stuff that just vernacular that comes along with all, you know, the entire underworld. Right? right. Super fucking fascinating. Um. So um, he then moved on to um, confidence men. Right. And he, it's pretty clear in the book, um, and you'll love this, you'll you'll love this about the book, he, it's pretty clear that he has, like, an like a real appreciation for the art, you know, because he draws a very clear distinction between con men and then the rest of the criminal world. Right. Because they're thieves, right? If yeah. you're a pickpocket, yeah, yeah. or you're working a short con, or it's something like, a, like that. It's a blunt skill. That's it, exactly right, yeah. Um, but if you're a true confidence man then you're you you're kind of, you know, you never steal anything. You can you convince somebody to give them your money. Right. You know, to, for them to give you their money. Um so it's kind of cool because he just kind of like has this like real appreciation for the art. Um and so he goes through all this stuff like um you know, and it's I think I mean I would love to hear like a history, or not, not even a history, but like I'd love to hear what people like how the confidence game happens now. Because he wrote this at a time which is like the '40s and '50s when people kind of still trusted one another. So like
0: you could you could con people. Isn't, you know? it, isn't it at this point? Isn't it all Nigerian princes? It's Nigerian, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Or, you know, or yeah. you're. Have, have you heard about the one where, um, and they've been profiling this a lot in this American life, where people pretend to, they go on dating sites and they pretend to be like men in their late 40s, early 50s who are with women who are now have like a retirement nest egg and um, they're basically like right wooing these women. Like Sugar Daddy setup? Yeah. Um, a little bit, yeah. Well, what they do is they convince them, they form an online romance until the point where this person is in love with them, and then they basically say, I was starting a business in X and blah, in Florida, and it just fell through, and I need you to wire money, you know. Uh, ah. and it's just really, but it's all perpetrated by guys in Eastern Europe and men in Africa, basically.
1: Okay, yeah. Another, like, crude long con. Yes. Because the long con the like, the, you know, and he, uh, he lays out, like, their, you know, it's almost like a, it's a study of like the three different, there's like three different main types of, of confidence games where there's the wire, which I won't remember all of these, but there's the wire which fell out of um, when the telegraph was being phased out. There were just loads of telegraph operators that were kind of roaming around with this like arcane skill. So what they would do is they would um, convince people, like, listen, I know how to tap into this telegraph wire. And the telegraph was still being used to, like, relay fight results and race results and that kind of a thing. Um, It was used basically almost just as an information kind of transfer. Right. So they would convince people, like, I know how to tap into this thing, get the results, you call into your bookie, I delay the post results, you know what I mean? And then when I deliver them you know, across the, wherever across the, you get a payday. Then you yeah. get a payday. So, and I think that's pretty similar. I don't, I don't remember The Sting that much, but it was something like that. It was a, I hate The Sting, to be honest with you. I hate that fucking movie. <laughs> um <laughs> it's such bullshit. But, I, I think The Sting may have been based on that con. But anyway, like, that came into, you know, that was one of them. Then, I forget, there is another one called The Payoff, and, it's so good, but he just, like, the glossary in the thing is so killer because it's, like, all of these just, like, absurd... Not absurd, but, like, he, he's a linguist, so there's just loads of of stuff in there. And, uh, again, here's a to draw a comparison f- between... from our last episode, like, talking about Edith Wharton and creating a world that's very specific and showing you the inner workings of it. Yeah. David Marr is kind of... The Edith
0: Wharton of the underworld. That's awesome. It, it's compelling in the same fashion, kind of. For sure, absolutely. That sounds great. Yeah, I'll th- definitely gonna have to check that out. Yeah, but it's a good one. You'll love cool. it. Cool. All right. Well, we're uh, at one one. Yeah, I guess I supposed to So, so yeah. um, see if I can pull into the lead here. All right, my next choice. No, is... No, we're th- at. No, you got. Wait. Well, you've you've had two picks. One didn't hit. Okay. Yeah. All right. So. Yeah,
1: yeah, one one.
0: One one, but I still have. Two more to go on ULA one so yeah. unless you get one of these next ones, it's game over. <laughs> Yo. Uh, my next pick was a book called, it's actually three books in one, but I read it as one book and I carried it around as one book, so I'm going to, it's collected, three novels collected, but I think you can't even buy them separately at this point, so I'm going to refer to it as one book. It's a book called Berlin Noir by Philip Kerr. Oh, no, I've never read that. Oh, it was so I know about that so book, though. I, that's been recommended to me before. So when I was going over to India, um, to I went over shit. to India to work for a couple months. I uh, specifically grabbed it. It had been recommended to me by a friend in Chicago. I grabbed it because it was, at the time, pre-Kindles or anything like that. I needed a lot of bang for the buck. And I was like, well, here's this, you know, three novels in one. It's like a 1,200 or 1,000-page 1, book. So when I think about that book, I can't, Help, but remember lugging it around, in around India, <laughs> including into the Himalayas, being like sick out of my mind with a burning fever, just like laying in bed reading this book. Oh my uh, god! Because I've yeah. gotten like the deli Belly in the middle of the Himalayas, <laughs> and was like, I honestly thought I was gonna die. Oh, my so then all god. I did while I was recovering was like lay in bed and read this book. And Nothing it's like so that'll break. So me, incredible, right? yeah. <laughs> so what uh, Berlin Noir is is the first novel is set. During uh, the Nazi occupation, but World War II hasn't quite started yet. It's like during the rise of the Nazi party. And um, he's a German detective, non-Jew, who, of course, there are all these people start to disappear. And there's all sorts of weird shit and shenanigans going on. And he's basically helping. At first, he's trying to help Jewish families locate these missing people. And he has to be careful not to run afoul of the SS. Uh, and what's so incredible about these books, I believe he's he's actually um, from the UK, Philip Kerr okay. um, is the sense of place in these books. It's like even better than um, Chandler. This guy like sets the scene. like you feel like Holy. you're walking the streets of Berlin with this detective. His name is Bernie Gunter, Bernie uh, no, shit. and you the second novel takes place. During the war, at like the height of the war, when things are getting really fucked up,
1: yeah. And yeah. the
0: third novel takes place um, at the end when like everything's crumbling and Berlin's about to be invaded, and it's just like no an insane shit. shit show. Well, what happens? Or so maybe maybe the third book actually takes place at, as the now that the Americans and the Brits and the Russians have like control of Berlin. I'm Trying to remember, it's it's, it's I haven't read these since two thousand, but um, yeah. They and since then, he's actually he went on to write other spy novels and things like that. But nothing was ever as successful as this trio of novels. So he's since picked this character back up and is writing, you know, written him forward in German history in like the German countryside. And um, what did he do after?
1: So, if the first novel is sort of like solving mysteries about missing people. All of a sudden, it's not so much of a fucking mystery, right? I mean, we right. know where they go. And so what, yep. what is he doing in novels two and three?
0: So there's actually this really, I, I, it, this, it's so unique. So he forges this relationship with this woman who's a German woman, and he's maybe trying to help locate her sister. And he sort of falls in love with this woman, and she just mysteriously disappears. He uh-huh. just never sees her again. And so I think part of the third novel is, and this happens in the second novel, is him trying to fi- find out what happened or locate this woman. Uh, and it's just this heartbreaking the way that relationship develops. It's like there's something about it that's so natural, and so uh, so it feels very so real. amazing. It feels so real, and you're like heartbroken, and you kind of feel this like shock and dismay that like this woman just. Oh, Just disappears at like the beginning of this like amazing blossoming relationship, and uh. it's really heart wrenching. Uh, and um, you, the way it, the whole thing re- re- resolves, feels very um, like it's 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 realistic how difficult it would be to get closure around something like that. Interesting. It's very well, wow. very delicately handled in a way that you don't really see with much writers in any genre, let alone. You know, something that would be considered crime fiction, so... Fucking hell. Anyways, Berlin Noir, you can, I think, uh, buy them all on Kindle or together in a paperback, and um, I think it's it's a bargain at any price, but I think it's yeah. really cheap. No shit. Like, 12 bucks for three books. Oh, fucking like hell, that. that's so. going on
1: the list for sure. I yeah. love anything, like, I mean, a comparison to Chandler, I mean, in a sense of place, you know, is like that i get so attracted to books that are that use, you know, setting as a character. It's so I love it so much. Alright, man. Here's my final one. Um and I'm not hundred percent on this, to be honest with you. Um this is a fairly new book called The Art of Making Money. Um no? Nope. Whew, okay. Yeah. At least it's not a blowout Two, Two two two. Okay. Um so the art of making money is um I forget the oh art Williams is a guy's name so uh art williams um was a um, was a career counterfeiter in um in a world of many many counterfeiters he was a master so um in nineteen ninety three the u s treasury issued the new note which was the new hundred dollar bill right the most counterfeited bill in the world is the hundred dollar bill up until Ninety-three, when they released that new one, and anybody that's old enough, as you and I certainly are, mm-hmm. um, remember the old hundred-dollar bill that had the small Benjamin Franklin on there, right? There was yep. no, there was no um, hologram in it. Yep. Um, there was a, there's a bunch of shit that I don't remember that made it. Um, you know that the new one came out to it, it was uncrackable. Nobody had cracked the hundred-dollar bill for years, so. It became his mission. This guy came up in Chicago and chicago um pre the supernote they call it the pre this hundred dollar bill was always the like the foundation of counterfeiting the
0: epicenter of counterfeiting yeah, yeah
1: um because um all the newspaper presses there's so many i mean there, Chicago's right. a newspaper town. Right, right. So these presses are hard to find. These are big-ass things. They're not shipping these fucking things around. Like, it's not like New York, you're shipping it to Mississippi or something. You know what I mean? These things right. are hard to come by big, old things. And you can't do it without with something like, chintzy. You're not making these things in your garage. Right. You know what I mean? Unless you've got one of these huge-ass presses. So counterfeiters, Chicago's always been ground zero. Um, and so this guy came up in counterfeiting. In a world where 75%, the Secret Service, like, they got their, they got that shit dialed. Counterfeiting is not a fucking great way to make a living. But this guy made millions. So he would, he cracked the $100 bill. And I'll tell one quick, like, anecdote. The hardest, the first problem that he faced was uh, paper, right? Because money right. isn't printed on paper. Yeah, yeah. It's printed on cotton. Um, it's a this crazy, like... Blend, right? Right. Um, so, in the thing that um, has been super brutal for counterfeiters are those cheap ass fucking pens that everybody, every bar has got that you draw on a bill with, and if it's fake, it turns one color, and if it's real, it turns another. Right. So, like, that thing was the death knell for so many counterfeiters because it was a foolproof, super cheap way to test bills. So, that was the test. So, he had a cart full of these pens and he's just trying every fucking paper in the world. And he's in, he's got connections across the paper world. Right. counterfeiting. So he's getting this paper, that paper, every kind of different newsprint, all kinds of different things. And, you know, no matter how you could get it to feel, it was always a hand feel kind of thing. How does does a paper feel? How does it, you know, does it feel like when you touch it? Now, it was just all about that pen. No matter what it had, if it didn't pass that pen, he was like, you're fucked. So, He's looking through the phone book for some kind of. He's just going through the yellow pages, trying to find something, and he picks up the pen next to him. And he circles somebody's name, and he realizes, "Holy shit! Fucking phone book paper re- reacts the same way to the pen as real money paper." No does. way. Yeah. So then he was off and running. He's like, he sourced phone book paper, and then figured it out. Started just knocking out hundred dollar bills, um, and uh, he. You know, you can't. You gotta. You gotta turn fake money into real money. So what you do is you crack it. You, I forget what he calls it. There's some. You pass it. So you pass the money. um, So what he would do is he would load everybody up. You know, his his crew. He'd load them up with hundred dollar bills, and you go into the mall and you buy something for eight dollars. So they would they would drive away from Chicago. They drive and they would go on a road trip. So drive up into Shittooth, Maine. Right. Hit a shopping mall. And you go into ten different stores and you hit it hard and you hit it fast. You go into Sears and you go to one counter and you buy an eight dollar pair of socks with a hundred. You break it so you got ninety two dollars back. You yep. break another one. You break another one. So everybody leaves and you leave the mall
0: with fifty. Pretty much grand. simultaneously before they figure it out. Yeah. And then you bail because they're gonna.
1: You're gonna get caught. Yeah. I mean that's gonna happen. You know what I mean? As good as your money may be, like. It's only going to stand up for so long because the Secret Service is so tight.
0: Anyway. Well, as soon as it goes to the bank, that's when they figure it out, right? Or yeah. The bank starts to flag stuff, and then they call the Secret Service. And
1: and they start putting it together. and I mean, pins, you're not going to... Pins
0: uh, go into a map. On a fucking, board. Exactly. Yeah. You're
1: not out-resourcing the Secret Service. So, um, it's so good, man. This is such a good read. Yeah. It's, I, it's I, amazing. I'm sold
0: 100%. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm all over that. Snag that
1: one. It's, it, you burn through it. It's really good.
0: Killer. That sounds awesome. So my next one, and I guess there's a slight chance on this one too, right. that you that you've got this one, but I think this is even more obscure than Cutter and Bone, so oh, I, I feel pretty good. Alright, what do you got? Like, what do you got? You know, easy triple, maybe a homer here. <laughs> <laughs> Tap in the Source by Chem Nunn. Nope. By who? Chem Nunn. No. What yes. a name. Uh his, uh, this was his first book. It came out in 84. It has the feel of vintage crime when you read it. Really? So have you ever seen Point Break? Of course, yeah. Yeah. Point Break, He's I think, shit. was uh, very much inspired. The surfing stuff, not the bank robbing stuff. Uh, it's sort of like how Jaws was like a ripoff of that Heinrich Ibsen, Enemy of the People, and Moby Dick. And you smash them together and you get this movie. Yeah, It's like, Point Break was like, take... Um, some bank robbing movie and you smash it together with Tapping the Source and you get Point really? Break. No um, shit. So, as soon as I read it, I was like, oh my god, this totally inspired Point Break. So it's like a surfing noir book, basically. And there's, uh, like, once again, it's in, like, a seedy part of California, small town. This is, um, can, let me interrupt you for one second. Because there's another book, there's another surfing crime book that you turned me on to. That was a Don Winslow book, right?
1: Okay, yes, thank you. Yeah. We'll talk about it another time. I just wanted to make sure.
0: Just wanted to make sure. Yeah. yeah, okay. Three, two. You can't pull this one back from the edge. <laughs> um, so yeah, Tapping the Source, it's like there's, a, there's weird religious cults, there's like drugs, of course, and it's, um, it's really atmospheric, really well done. Kem um, Nunn has gone on. He did, um, uh, along with David Milch, on paper, I was like, this this has got to be the greatest thing. This is going to be the greatest thing ever, because it's Cam Nunn, who I love, writing a book set in, like, small-town Surfer, California, and David Milch from Deadwood, and they're doing a show together for HBO. And I was like, this is going to be the greatest fucking show of all oh time. My God, yeah. And it turns out to be John from Cincinnati, which was, like, such... An unwatchable piece of shit. That was
1: such a piece of shit.
0: With moments of brilliance, like, without a doubt. There were moments where I was like, I see how great the show could be. But I don't know if it was like Cam, Cam Nunn just wasn't, like, the right person to wrangle David Milch back from the edge of, like, obscure Shakespearean, like, poetic monologues and all that shit. If he just didn't, they didn't have, like, a peer-to-peer relationship enough.
1: Yeah, it um, shows you how hard it is to make a good show, right?
0: But Kem Nunn has gone on to, like, he's done a whole series of novels kind of in the same sort of surf noir sort of vein, and he's um, written for Sons of Anarchy. So he's, like, he's doing pretty well for himself, but Tabbing the Source is, like, a classic. Like, no one had quite seen anything like this before uh, at the time that it came out. and Which was when? 84. Uh, okay. You know, in a way it felt like, it just felt like a return to, because it's not like, it's as atmospheric as Elmore Leonard without, um, it didn't, but it's not, it's not, it's so obviously not a, an Elmore Leonard book. You know, it's, yeah. doesn't, it's not like, um, doesn't have the Western sort of influence. It doesn't, it's like a purely Californian book. Really? Uh, in a way that like only, you only see, and it's, it's interesting that Newton Thornburg in some ways feels like you know, the great-uncle of Chem Nunn. They're both, like, very Californian, and they write about California in this way that feels um, so authentic and of the place. Very West Coast. Um, In a way that only someone who grew up there and knows all the small towns would, like, come up with these characters and these storylines. Did you say it was set in the 60s? Uh, No, I think it's set in the 80s. It's set in the 80s, okay. So it's present day. Yeah, I think so. Um, But, yeah... Great book. Highly recommended. Tapping the Source, Cutting Cut um, Berlin Noir. All three of those. Yeah, I really wanted to go to picks where it was like, even if you met someone who was really into crime, like, you could turn them on to these, like, books that they hadn't heard of but that they would, you know, put uh, next to the shelf, uh, you know, when they were done with all their favorite books. Yeah. Killer. That's what I was going for. Yeah, these are great. So, I'm going to do my bonus round pick real quick, just because I love this book and I love this series. And, uh, yeah, let's do it. I, there's no no way in my mind you, you've heard of this either. Um, I picked a book, called, a book called Dead Folk by Charlie Williams. Okay. So he's a Welsh author, actually, and uh, he invented this town in Wales called Mangle, spelled M-A-N-G-E-L, and the reason why I love these books so much is because he creates this character whose named Royston Blake, and he works as a doorman as, as this bar, and he's this, like, um... Semi it takes you a while to figure this out. First of all, the language and the fucking vernacular an and vocabulary. Oh, it's just so fun to yeah, read yeah. I, yeah. As, as an outsider. And he's I think playing it up a little bit as well. But um this character Royston Blake, like, he thinks he's like the most flash hard guy in town, but he's like It's. he's this totally, and you don't figure this out at first, but he's this unreliable narrator because he has this, like, maybe 20% skewed view of his place in the world (laughs) and how cool he is. And you start to figure out by the way other people react to him and stuff that he's actually, like his car isn't nearly as cool as he thinks it is. It's like an old piece of shit and he has this suit that he wears. He thinks he's like a big man about town because he's a doorman yeah. at this bar which is basically like a bouncer. Yeah. And he thinks he's tougher than he is and all this kind of stuff and he once again sort of bumbles into being a like, quote unquote detective, you know, and these things and the books are fucking hilarious. Really? The second book in the series um, which I think is called Fags and Lager um, I was reading on a plane, and the people next to me kept looking at me because I was oh, God. shaking with <laughs> laughter and crying. <laughs> Tears were just streaming down my face. These books are so entertaining and Holy like such shit. a once once you're onto it, it instead of ruining it, it makes it that much more entertaining. Once you realize, like, oh, I'm in the head of this guy who has this like totally skewed view of the world and himself, and like. In this way that's really unique that you just don't see that often, because it's, yeah. not, it's not making fun of him. Like, at the same time, you're rooting for him, but you just realize that... I think it makes you almost empathize more for him because you you start to understand that he's actually kind of an underdog. Right, sure. And, sure. Um, what a cool device. It is, his life is just a fucking mess. <laughs> and it's one of those things where he's just digging himself a bigger and bigger mess as these books go along, and somehow it just, like... The world doesn't shit all over him, and he somehow makes it through in the end. Like yeah. things just like everything burns up or goes on fire, and he, he somehow walks away clean. But these books are un- unbelievable. They're oh my so God, good. It sounds so good.
1: Yeah. How would you get turned on to
0: that? Um, once once again, I think it was like online crime communities, Dig like in. people talking about new books or things that were coming out. I think I'd seen. I thought the. Uh, the first, the second, when the second book came out, Fags and Lager, I was like, oh, that, that sounds like a really interesting title. I think I've been reading a lot of like British sort of gangster things at the time, like okay. layer cake-ish sort of yep. stuff, you know, and was always like, you know, the UK is like the next place I always go to when I feel like I'm tapped out on, um, all of the US stuff, you know, like Pelicanos doesn't have a book out, Lahain doesn't have a new book out. Yeah. Um. Some other time I'll have to talk about this guy um, from Philadelphia who um, I actually took a writing class from him. He's a great guy. His name's is Dwayne Swierzynski. His first book was a book called Wheel Man uh, that's set in Philly. It's cool. really good. I'll talk about that some other time. Oh, because cool. we're, uh, I'm sure, you know. i yeah. I'm sure we're at our time limit. If, yeah. whatever, whatever the imaginary time limit of this podcast, <laughs> which we never seem to respect. So, anyways, that's all for this week, really folks. Fun. We're going to wrap up. That was super fun. Yeah. Uh, Stump Episode 2, Episode Number 8 uh, in the books. Thank you once again for listening. Thanks to Kaya Fisher for all the audio engineering yes, help. Thank you. And you can find us online if you so choose to. And once again, I'm going to make a plea no one has taken me up on the rating on iTunes yet. Please do me a favor. Someone go rate this dumb fucking podcast on iTunes. (laughs) (laughs) I would just love to see what any of you have to say in your feedback out there. So swag on us. So one of the four people that listens to this podcast, (laughs) please go, go click some stars on iTunes and tap your keyboard furiously for 20 characters. All right, thanks. See you later.